then you expect that there's something in their life that will add to yours. And then we will all as a collective be able to add to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that should be a class. <laughs> Networking. <laughs> How to create your network. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone. Sometimes I'm dining with friends. And sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Joshua Washington is a serial entrepreneur. He has founded multiple businesses, including the Joshua Mentality, a messaging apparel line called Black Caution, and an organizational psychology firm. What ties all of these ventures together is Joshua's belief in the value of people. This conviction shines through everything he does and is the foundation for his success. Welcome back to Diversity Dish. I'm so glad you decided to come back because today my guest is Joshua Washington. How are you today, Joshua? I am doing wonderful, Sadrula. Thanks for having me on. I am so glad to have you here. It is my absolute pleasure. And so we're just going to get into our conversation. And I, of course, I'm going to start with my first question that I ask all my guests is, what are you passionate about right now? What am I passionate about right now? The first thing that comes to mind is legacy. And I don't know if this is because I have have a Mm. two-year-old and it seems like I've always been kind of legacy driven. But when I had my son, it just went to a whole nother kind of leveling gear. And so right now I'm very passionate about legacy for my life and helping other people see their value so that they can create and and demonstrate and leave their own legacy. I love that. And I love that word. And if uh, for those who've been listening to the podcast for a while now, you will hear that legacy comes up quite a bit in our in our different shows and in different people uh, who are doing different things legacy comes up and it's always because there's this focus on family which I think is so important because I you know I love my family I think about legacy I love you know my extended family they're huge and so I really love that that that's a, a focus for you. So as you think about legacy, as you think about your legacy, what is it that you are preparing in to, to, to create this legacy for your son? Wow, that's a good question. For me, a little background, I mm-hmm. never, growing up, a, a lot of my lifestyle and choices were kind of on the whim in the moment. You know, and I blamed it on creativity. Mm-hmm. It's funny how we will rationalize some of the <laughs> bad habits. I blamed it on the fact that I'm just creative. So I don't, you know, I don't need a plan. I just want to kind of go, <laughs> go with the flow. Right. But today to answer that question, I've broken down uh, my life into what I call the seven priorities of a high capacity leader, because I believe if you're going to leave a great legacy, you have to build 
uh, capacity because you're going to be you're going to be challenged with carrying a lot. And so those seven areas that I kind of frame things in so that I can leave it is number one, uh, making sure I have time for personal devotion. Mm-hmm. That's something that is very important to me and, and, and the foundation of my life and faith. Number two is family. So making sure that as a husband, as a father, you know, and as, as someone who's trusted to lead my family, that I do everything I can in my power to grow and develop in that area. The third one is community. So I make sure I have a community of people that when I begin to lose my mind and, and contemplate time, I have people <laughs> who are there in my network that will remind me of my value and their value will feed my life. And so teaching my son that as well is very important. All through all these areas, it's important to me to teach uh, my son. Number four is profession. So how do I give value in the marketplace? Number five is finance, which financial literacy, we all know by now that's something that's huge and, and becoming more and more of a conversation. And then six is mental health and physical. And seven is physical health. Those are kind of the seven priorities that I focus on for building a legacy over, over the time. Mm. I love that. I I love those areas. And I think that you're right. I think that we definitely need a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know about <laughs> living by the seat of your pants. Like, well, I'm just going to go do this. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, that's his work. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm, I think I'm learning now, even in, in at this stage in life, that having a plan, being intentional, really is what I think that you're saying is be intentional about the things that you are putting your energy toward so that they can flourish for you and that you can see a return basically on that rather than just uh, what I call living by default where you just kind of go with the next easy thing and you just Mm kind of go with the wind blowing you and, 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 and all that sort of thing. And so in those those seven things that you just outlined, clearly you've th- you've thought about this. Uh, is this something that you outline in your book, the mentality of success? Yes, absolutely. It's um, it's, it's I broke it down that book into four kind of zones because for me, writing the mentality of success was a representation of an experience I went through in my my twenties and my college years where mm-hmm. I had gotten, life had lost so much color for me mm. and so much meaning that I found myself on my college uh, sofa in my apartment writing a letter to my parents because I didn't think life was worth living. And be- mm. so before I wrote The Mentality of Success, I just saw it a vision of all the young men and older men who are suffering in silence because they're trying to chase this false uh, perspective of what mental or what success is and what success really looks like. It's a contaminated definition when really success is already who you are. And then the work is digging and searching into your value, your strengths, your skills, and then distributing that across your family, the marketplace, you know, all those areas. And so for me, um, that's where it came to life. That's where those four zones of dreams, discovery, development, and decision, which is what the book is based off of. That's mm-hmm. how that came to life, which led to the, the seven priorities of a high capacity leader. Cause I want to see more men adopt those, those priorities, because I believe if that happens, our, our families change, our communities change, and that has a wide reaching impact. It does. It's so interesting to me 
that when I speak to men, they want to see men move forward. When I speak to women, they want to see women move forward. So I'm thinking that we're probably all speaking the same language. <laughs> we're all probably trying to push forward in the same way, but we are missing those parts that connect us and help us to, to do it together. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I totally hear what you're saying in that it's important for men. Let's go back. What I think is when you say that this vision of success is convoluted or, you know, what have you, I think that this is how we are socialized, right? We're socialized to believe that success looks one way. Mm-hmm. When in reality, we have to determine individually for ourselves what success looks like. And then by what you say, go in there, do that thing, create that success, and then what whatever the word is, what you know, push it out there. Distribute. To, distribute it to those communities, to those families, to the family, to whomever is in our, our purview. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you do, and I know that you do, you said you do some, um, organizational psychology, um, psychology. Mm-hmm. when you go in and you're talk to organizations, what is it that stands out to you in terms of their belief systems about the success of their teams or whomever it is that you're, you're speaking with. Because I think sometimes that has a lot to do with an individual's feel for what their success is. Oh, my team has to do this. So if I don't do this, Mm -hmm. whereas I'm really good over here, but if I don't do this, then I'm not being successful. That is so, that is, wow. That's a really good question. So one of the things I've seen, and I get a chance to work, I'm privileged, I think, to have started early and, and get to work in corporate quarters where there's a lot of, it's a lot of capital and a lot of, you know, people. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I see is people have a hard time separating that personal and professional development arena. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people will form their identity based on their professional their mm-hmm. profession versus and then what will happen before I say versus, but what will happen from that point is it will create a void where their personal life, you never get to really discover, you know, me, mm-hmm. my strengths, my skills. And so what businesses are doing now and, and trying to do a better job of is looking at their employees at the individual level mm-hmm. while also keeping in mind the overall goal and mission of the organization, which mm-hmm. I think is very wise, but it's still a very challenging um, objective for a lot of organizations. Mm-hmm. That requires you to actually care about that person. <laughs> you just—I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, it actually—it actually requires you to invest capital, time, and resources to help that employee grow. And then you asked me what are some of the belief systems. I think what so one of the belief systems that have hurt a lot of businesses is that the focal point of business is their business. Mm. The focal point of business is your people. Mm-hmm. Because your people are the greatest resource within your business. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that's why the whole organizational psychology thing came about because I realized 
a lot of these organizations, especially in the small to mid-sized business level, which drives our country's economy, mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of our business owners are so uh, overwhelmed with all the daily tasks and putting this fire out and putting that thing that this fire out that this area of people strategy and management takes a huge hit and they lose their teams and we're seeing it. You see how you know turnover has mm-hmm. skyrocketed. 4.3 million people got up last August and said, peace, I'm out of here, <laughs> you know? So peace. yes, to your point, a lot of those, those are some of the beliefs I'm seeing when I go into a lot of these businesses. Yeah. That's, you know, it's so funny that you said that because as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, but they got to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I started laughing. It was like, they have to care. And as a, as someone who works with equity and inclusion, that is what my sense is as well. It's that a lot of companies work with their heads, but not with their hearts, mm-hmm. right? They don't pull their collective hearts together to say, how are we going to make our teams better, our people? How are we going to help our people get to their best levels? How are we going to create an environment where people feel that they are valued and cared for? Uh, they don't, they, 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 tend to push that to the side and pushing equity to the side pushes inclusion to the side, but then they focus on diversity. And I'm like, no, diversity is not the first step. Diversity is the outcome of creating an environment that is equitable and inclusive. If you don't care about the people that are here already, bringing in new people that are going to be just as complacent or, you know, disillusioned as the people that are here is not going to help your organization is not it's not going to get you to the benefits that are touted when people say diverse organizations are more innovative more creative and more profitable it's not going to get you there man you hit on something so strong there because well let's just be let's be frank there's, there aren't a lot of tools in that professional box that will help do what you just described, which is be able to care for the person, yeah. be able to really create an environment like none of that, that requires a, a leader to grow that personal area because yes. I don't care how many professional tactics and techniques that you have. The person will always shine through. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these, I think the stat was like 64% of employees don't leave the business. They leave the leader. Mm-hmm. And, the, and these are leaders that are well-resourced. They've, they've mm-hmm. gone through every leadership training, every, you know, this or that technique. And it's because at the personal level, it's an imposter syndrome because they're not who they portray to be in the professional arena right. in their personal life. And that's why that personal level, and you mentioned the book, that's why I wrote it because people need to get that foundation first. I mean, get that foundation right first. Mm-hmm. And then everything else grows and blossoms from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So I often say that we as individuals, people as individuals, give away their power to their companies or to their industries because they don't believe that they have the power. But if they believed, if business leaders really took to heart that, first of all, you don't have to know everything to still be a good leader. So if your people are coming to you and you don't know the answer, say, new to me, let's find (laughs) out together. (laughs) 
I mean, right? That's a new policy. Yeah. New to M. New to me. New to me. Let's find out together. I mean, how would I have so much more respect for, for leaders and people who said, oh, wow, I don't know. I've never thought of it that way. Let's find out. And then, and I think other people would too, because they would say, wow, this person is actually a human. This person is actually they're actually showing me some vulnerability here. Yeah, but they're not reached. They're not. They're not achieving the image of what a great leader should look like. Who doesn't have any questions that they don't know the answer? <laughs> right. who, who who knows all and and can do all and doesn't need any. And that's that's where that personal development piece is because what that is a sure sign of is insecurity. When that, I can't admit, that need when you can't admit that yes. you don't know. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes, it's insecurity because in my personal, that's that imposter thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, in my personal life, I haven't really worked on as a leader discovering who I am, what are my strengths, what are my skills, how do I best serve? And so when you come to me with something I don't have an answer to, it reflects on how inadequate I may feel, but nobody knows. And right. so the only way to do is to reflect off of that and say, you know what? You should know the answer or, you know, to, to go a different route instead of saying, <laughs> I don't know. New yes. to me is the yes. policy. Let's go find out together. Yes, absolutely. I think I think that we would have so many more powerful leaders if people actually thought that it was okay not to know everything. Yeah. I, t- I teach in a lot of these trainings that I don't know is the starting line. It's not no man's land. Yes. Right. Because when you consider the things that you've learned in school, so for example, my son is in high school right now. He's learning geometry. And I'm like, he's not a mathematician. Geometry probably isn't in his future (laughs) as it wasn't in mine. Or mine. (laughs) Right? But he's learning geometry. Why? Why is he not learning something that is in his future? Like you said, financial literacy, right? Mm -hmm. Mental health, physical health, learning these things that are going to be beneficial and helpful to him so that when he does, when he gets into an uh, an opportunity that affords him to be a leader, Mm -hmm. he can have the wherewithal to say, you know what? I don't know, but let me, let's find out. Let's find out together. Because we don't learn everything that we need to know before we get into the positions that we get into. We're constantly learning. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I'm just like, I, I don't, let's, we got to do something different. We've been doing the same thing for years and years, decades. Yeah. Let's do something different. So true. If you had the opportunity to do something differently, let's say, I mean, you're building you're building your legacy. You're building your your foundation. What are some of the things that look different in your organization versus organizations that you've encountered? Well, I think there's a great sense and value for, I believe in this, understanding that we are interdependent beings. Mm-hmm. And so to carry on just kind of the theme of what you brought up, because I think it's so critical, when you understand that you are an interdependent dependent being, it means you expect that there will be something you don't know, but Mm -hmm. the value of the team member that you have on your teams, they are there to add value so that we all can grow. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think that one element, and and I, I wrote down a quote the other day, I probably can't find it as fast, but it was something that, that Steve Jobs said mm-hmm. about this, this area of being able to hire people who are, I think he said, we hire smart people because not, be, not so we can tell them what to do, but so they can tell us what to do. That's what the quote was. Mm. And I think that is so key. And that's, that's a foundation that, you know, my, my firm is built off of it's, Hey, I don't know. And I'm waving that banner. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> right. And I want, I want to be surrounded by people who do know, because here's what I believe in my core. I believe network is the third greatest currency we have. Mm. It's the third greatest currency and money is the last one on the list. Mm-hmm. The third greatest currency we have in life is network. And when you see people with that lens of value, then you expect that there's something in their life that will add to yours. And then we will all as a collective be able to add to the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that should be a class. <laughs> Networking. How to create your network. I mean, you know, I mean, there's so many classes that I think I mean, young people, especially young people today, I'm, we know that this, this whole, the whole educational system has to be sh- shaken up. And young people today can lead the way. They can say, hey, we need classes on this. We need mm-hmm. classes on this. And when I look at it, every time I look at it, I'm like, what would be more beneficial than having a class on geometry? What would be more beneficial than having a class in physics? Now, if a, if someone comes in and they love science and they love math, then put them on that trajectory. Mm-hmm. But if someone comes in and they say that they love people, have them take a, a quick assessment. Yeah. And it says, you are really good with people. You are a great communicator. You are this, you are that. Put them on that trajectory, right? Then what happens? We get people in the marketplace that balance each other out. Yes. Just like you said, I can hire, I know what my strengths are. I can hire someone who has strengths that uh, balance mine out because I don't have all the strengths. So if I hire somebody who is good at math, then now I don't have to worry about the math part. Somebody else can do it. Listen, right? I, that's what I did in school. I hired <laughs> someone else. So that homework got done. <laughs> I was being a CEO before I even knew. <laughs> yeah, I hired somebody else to get that work done because I it looked like Chinese to me. It's just, you know, but I think it just makes so much sense. So now we have to talk about leaders uh, not only showing their vulnerability and saying, I don't know, or let's find out together, but recognizing in the people that they bring in the strengths that they have Mm -hmm. and valuing those strengths. What do you think is missing there? I I feel like, I feel like there are a whole lot of biases sometimes that, Mm -hmm. that, that come in a person walks in and all these biases go, go forward. And the person who is hiring has all of that, but how do they get beyond that so that they can see this talented human that can add value to the team and pull that forward and say, we're going to take that. Man, that's a powerful question. I I think it boils down for me. I'd say it boils down to beliefs, I think. And that's a hard one to transform and kind of, you know, 
unlearn some things because you're right. I think we all have biases to some extent mm -hmm. you know, and some, some are, are worse than others. And the only way to filter that out of the workplace, I think it goes back again to, you know, my word, which, which is how I lead my life, which is value. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to, okay, let me put it this way. If, if you're going to have a bias come to mind towards someone, the healthy thing is to acknowledge that it's okay to have that bias come to <laughs> right. mind. It is, it is okay. What is not okay is to be unaware of that bias and to act upon it. Correct. But to have bias is not, that's not bad. Like, to I'm have bias is human. To have yeah. bias is human. Yeah, it's like just... if you put, if it's Thanksgiving and you put a bologna sandwich in front of me, as a young, as a black man who grew up in the, in the South, all my bias senses are going off. Get that, get that crap off the table. I need some, I, I you know, yes. where's the sweet potato pie? Okay. Yes. You know what, where, where, where's the bunt cake? Like I, I need, I have a bias towards those areas. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to have biases, but the important thing is awareness. Mm -hmm. And I think awareness requires us to have some real, allow truth into the room. And to say, you know mm -hmm. what, I grew up seeing this about, you know, this group of people mm -hmm. and I'm struggling right now to see past that. Mm -hmm. But because I have my belief system says that I value everyone, I'm going to turn the page and allow this person to tell me who they are mm -hmm. and to look for ways that I can add to their life. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and a lot of hiring practices are more centered around what can you do for us when there should be more of a balance of, Hey, what can we do for you? Right. If we can't pay you at the level that you want, maybe there's something we can do to add to your life that will get, that will further your success more than it would that other business who can pay you more. And that, that requires a total shift in how you see talent management and acquisition. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, to be honest, I know that nothing that we're talking about here is easy. Yes. <laughs> Let's be very clear. Yeah, we're not saying that, you know, you can walk into your office today and make these changes in, at, the, at the drop of a dime. What we're saying is you have to be aware. Um, mindfulness is so important when it comes to any of this, because being mindful is, is being able to look at the present moment, the present issue, and you in that present moment, and what you're thinking, what you're feeling, how you're acting. And if you can be mindful in that moment of what it is that you're thinking, how your biases are coming up, what you're feeling, you can make a better decision because you can confront those biases. You can, I think what happens is we're a society of busybodies. We're moving our bodies. We're doing things all the time, but we're getting nothing accomplished because none of that busyness is intentional, right? So true. So true. We're, we're, just, we're just out here. Oh, yeah, I'm so busy because I got to run and get the kids. I got to run and do this. I got to run. To, I'm it's so still, it busy. It feels good. It's like a high. Yes, it, right. And so when somebody asks you, you say, oh, I'm so busy. And that's like a status symbol. And I have learned, especially in the last five years, uh, PC, which is post-cancer, that slowing down is not a bad thing. Being uh, not busy is not a bad thing. 
So when people ask me now, oh, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing great. Or it's a beautiful day. I'm loving today. I, you know, I have a different answer than, oh, I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. Which before I would say, I'm, oh, I'm, you know, we're so busy, you know, because that's what looks good. That's yeah. what sounds good. That's what someone else tells you is a measure of success, mm-hmm. which is what we started with. And it's so untrue. And you, you touched on some things there, which by the way, that, that cancer piece, that, that, that could be a whole episode by itself. I didn't know that. So yeah. kudos to you for, for fighting through that. My, my wife went through thyroid cancer and I, I just know mm. what that can be like. So mm-hmm. kudos to you. And, and I'm glad that you're still here because you're getting, you're, yeah. you're providing value. So that I want to hit that point first. The second thing you mentioned was none of this stuff is easy. Well, you're a mom of a teenager in high school. How easy is that? <laughs> right like like nothing worth having having life is easy like that's you have to say it again for the people in the back because yeah, you know some people you know they're not, they're nothing. vacuuming <laughs> nothing and in, in, in this social media success overnight you know because you have a, a huge following overnight that those things don't equate no the best success is the one that is slow cooked right it's just the one that when you, when you, you, if you had to go to, if you had a choice of going to grandma's house versus going to that fast food joint down the road, like, unless you got a grandma that doesn't cook well, but if I'm talking about the one that cooks really well, talking yes. about a grandma that cooks really well yes. and, and she will tell you it took time. It took, it took time. time in there to, to, because it's all about who you're becoming in the process of success. It's not about the outcome. Yes. The outcome will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. That's why I talk about equity and inclusion. That's the cooking part. Mm-hmm. That's the part where you're in there and you're kicking up dirt and you're mixing it up and you're saying, okay, this person may not be excelling in this position. Let's switch them over here because they have these kinds of skills that would work better over here. And you're churning it up so that people are now happier and you have more of a, of a, you're, 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 tilling the ground, so to speak, Mm -hmm. so that now you're naturally going to project. You're naturally going to project this whole thing that you've got going on here because your language is going to change your, the way that you present your business, the way that you present your people is going to change. And it is now going to attract the diversity. And now they're going to come in to till the ground where they feel like they can plant themselves and grow. And so it's so important, I think, for people to understand. And when you talk about grandma's cooking, she's not just throwing the ingredients in there. She's not just waiting around. She is doing it with heart. Mm -hmm. She is saying, I am going to feed my family. What are the best things that I can put in here so that it'll taste good and it'll feel good and it will be good? Right. Same thing. Yeah. Same thing. When we're talking about business leaders that really work and businesses that really work, because now those biases will start to take a back seat to that caring, to that understanding, to that moving forward. Right. So true. So true. I think that the work that you do is important. Helping these people kick up some 
psychological. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you're kicking up dirt, when you're kicking up dirt, people get really uncomfortable. Do you, do you get into situations where the air gets, gets so heavy and so thick that you could just, you know, take your pen and kind of write in the air and Mm -hmm. it just stays there? Yep, absolutely. And I've learned, one of the things I've learned in my profession is it's better to have people trip over the truth than for you to push them over the truth. Mm. And so I avoid a lot of those instances because I go at the pace of the client. If you're not ready to address or become aware to this truth, then we will, we will stick to the one that you need to work on and can the capacity you have for right now. Yes. And I think that for me, that approach has worked for me because you're right. People, they, they have a separation of what vulnerability should look like in the workplace. And I'm, and I, one thing I like to get people to understand is you spend more time in the workplace than you do, you know, almost anywhere else. Yeah. So it has to blend. There has to be healthy blended lines of when there's room for vulnerability and you can address some things without it being an attack on you. Mm-hmm. We all have things we need to work on. And I would encourage any, any coach or trainer listening, you want to always separate whatever that vulnerable thing is from the person mm-hmm. and speak to it while you esteem the person, mm-hmm. you know, maintain or increase the esteem of the person while addressing the issue or the challenge from a developmental perspective. And that takes skill. That's not something that, you know, is easy and it's not something I discovered overnight, but to your point, Mm -hmm. it it can get uncomfortable in there. And that's when I would encourage uh, leaders to bring in someone. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody, but bring in someone (laughs) who has that expertise and can help you navigate those rough waters with more of grace and uh, accelerate your growth. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think so too. And I think you're absolutely right. Just says, cause we're talking about leaders. So individuals, we're talking about people, individual people who are business leaders, who are probably leaders for, for teams, but we're talking about that. I think that it's, it's important to remember that those just, you know, just like I said before, individually, we have to, we have that, we have our capacity, each one of us, right? And some people are in one place and not ready to go to another place. Mm -hmm. And so we do have to meet everyone where they are. I, I, I tell people all the time, especially in the work that I do, if someone shows me that they're just absolutely not ready to have the conversation, I'm not here to push the conversation because all that is going to do is cause me distress Mm -hmm. is going to cause me to feel stressed, uh, anguish, whatever it is that it's going to cause me. That's it's me. And they're just going to be out here going, I don't, you know, they're like the wall and I'm going to be banging up against the wall and hurting myself. And they're like, I don't know. I feel something, but I don't know. Um, so we have to kind of remember that and, and then meet people where they are no matter No matter what it is that we're doing in whatever it is that we're doing, we have to meet people where they are because just because they're not where you are, doesn't mean that where you are is, is better. And it also doesn't mean that they can't get to there, but they need 
the space, just like grandma's cooking. Yeah. <laughs> we gonna yeah, go and back and to grandma's cooking. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that that is what I mean, what you're describing, that's what you know, in, in the workforce and in work environments, we term compassion. Yeah. And, I, and, and I think that's a very beautiful word, but what you just said and described, a lot of people, they don't get to that point of understanding. It, it, it Because here's what happens, and I don't think anybody means it from a, you know, bad place mm-hmm. or malicious place. It's just when you have grown and progressed, it's, you sometimes in your professional life, you can turn into that old grandpa who's like, back in my day, we used to have to... <laughs> You know, right. tread through snow, 80, 80 feet, 80 feet <laughs> snow, you know, and you forget what it was like when you were entry level. Yes. You were starting or you knew a, a loved one that was at entry level and starting and the compassion that you gave to them. Be, why? Why did you give them that compassion? Why did you give yourself that compassion? We go back to that same word, mm-hmm. value, mm-hmm. value. When you value someone, your compassion, your compassion enhances your capacity for compassion enhances Mm -hmm. and i'm not i'm not advocating for people to run bad business practices and just have you know a repeated you know bad behaviors Mm -hmm. what i am advocating for is to maintain a certain level of value for that person that you make sure you do everything within your power and your company's power to equip them to succeed yeah yes equip them to succeed this is the equity <laughs> this is why i you know i i and this is I, I i often tell i often say to people we use a lot of words we don't often understand them fully mm-hmm. compassion is not complacent yes compassion is an action word i know because i did a whole talk on it <laughs> Right? People say, oh, have compassion. Well, compassion means that you you are moved to do something mm-hmm. for something that you see, right? And so compassion is a great word to use when you're talking about teams and you're talking about putting value on people and you're talking about helping people get to the best place that they can be so that they can grow in their professions. Kindness is another one. People are like, well, I'm nice to them. I'm like, nice and kind are not the same thing. And I know because I did another talk on that. (laughs) (laughs) That is so good. That's good. Because I feel that people use words and they they don't know what they mean. And they don't really dig into the nuance of the meanings of the words. If we knew better what words meant and we used them appropriately, we would be communicating a lot better. People would understand things a lot better, and we could we could actually become be on the same page if wow. you know we looked into into all of these. Which is why I do these these no, talks listen, on these words. I need to go find those. You need to tell people they can find those talks. Oh, that that especially the one on kindness. That those are good resources, man. So. I think I think we've dug into a lot of things, or at least we've we've dusted up a lot of things here. Is there anything in particular that we have not touched upon that you feel that very strongly that you want to bring forward? Well, yeah, right now for me, you know, when I wrote this book and, and afterwards, I, I I had this thought of 
what I call the one million man campaign of getting mm. this book into the hands of one million men. And mm-hmm. that's, that felt very ambitious, you know, for someone who's not, you know, highly skilled in marketing and all that good stuff. <laughs> but, but I would like to emphasize the heart behind that because I think one thing that we, we didn't cover and it's hard to cover in, especially when we're talking about professional, you know, quarters, which aren't often or usually equipped for this kind of conversation. But I think one of the biggest things right now in our world that has become almost a famine is hope. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hope is one of those things where people are showing up to, to work jobs. That mm-hmm. Not only do they not want to be there, they don't want to be here. Here meaning this world. Anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it's not because of any, it's not because of any one particular thing. It could be a domino of, of things. It could be cut by a thousand different words. Like you just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it could be so many different possibilities. And so for me, I, I like to touch on, I think it's important to keep that in mind in every aspect of life. Mm-hmm. People need hope. Mm-hmm. There's never too much of it. There's right. never too much uh, of hope because hope is something that drives people to experience and go out and live the life that they were created to live. And if mm-hmm. they do that, imagine how much that will bless our lives. Right. And so hope for me is, is one of the subjects that I don't dive into a lot because it's, it's a hard subject to really, you know, drill down into. Mm-hmm. If I had to answer that question, I'd say the one thing that I think people should do a constant, just keep their hand on that barometer is hope and where mm-hmm. you find your source of hope, because that's just as important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think. Uh, I know we kind of gleaned over it, but when you were when you were on that couch writing that letter to your parents, I think that you had to have found a sliver of hope, which kept you from doing what it was that you were thinking of doing in that right. moment. Absolutely, right? Absolutely, and 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 for me, and I tell people all the time because I like to I like to disarm people from their. We have this tendency in society to feel like we have to be offended about something. So mm-hmm. I like to disarm people by saying, you don't have to believe what I believe. And that's okay. I'm not mad at you. And, and I'm not going to, you know, try to force you to believe what I believe. Mm-hmm. So I preference that because the next thing I share with people is that for me, it was my faith. It's what my grandmother brought me up in. And it was that source of hope that really helped me in that moment to realize and see towards the future of the things that were still left for my life, even though nothing, nothing in my current circumstance at that point looked like it. The pain mm-hmm. that I was experiencing at that point seemed like a, a, a humongous mountain that I couldn't see over. Mm. All, all I needed in that moment was to be able to go into my mind and see what it is that I was going to accomplish in the future if I made it past this moment. Mm-hmm. That requires a, a few things. One of them we talked about, which is network. There were mm-hmm. friends who came alongside and, and spoke life into me, mm-hmm. reminded me who I was. It also required me to open up mm-hmm. and to share where I was so that someone could ignite that, that fire that had quelled during that time. Right, right. So powerful. So powerful. Thank you so much, Joshua, for being here, being present here. <laughs> my, my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Oh, so before I let you go, I would love for you to tell us what is your favorite dish? Oh, man. 
<laughs> this question is so unfair, man. <laughs> because my, my wife and I are, are trying to be better, which I don't even agree with. Like, let's not be, let's not be better in the area of food. So we're, we're, we're making better choices of food. And I, and, I, and I will tell you all an embarrassing secret here, okay? I opened my phone the other day, and I realized there are several, several pictures of cake in my phone right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> several pictures of strawberry cake. But like, that's the oh. only way I can access that love loss that, I, that I'm experiencing right now. So this question is not fair. But I will say, when I'm allowed to eat what I want to eat, uh, my, my, one of my favorite dishes um, that I haven't had in so long, and I'm, t- I'm, a, I'm a country boy from the South, so if y'all don't understand what this is and it grosses you out, <laughs> don't worry. But we like a nice, you know, brown oxtail, cornbread, mm. and some rice, and some, you know, whatever kind of beans you like, maybe some great northern. Or, I just haven't had that in so long, and it just makes me feel so good. Yes. That right now. So thank you for this torture <laughs> question of yours that I now cannot even explore. <laughs> this is for you to look into the future. <laughs> <laughs> I hope to, so. Lord, to, I hope so. To see what you will have in the future on that day when you have been released and Man. you go, I'm going to go to the rest of this restaurant, you're going to do some research. You're going to find a restaurant that makes exactly what you want. And you're going to go and have some. Why, why is cornbread bad? Like why, why couldn't that be on the, the <laughs> list of things that make you healthier? <laughs> well, you know, I think that if you have one cornbread in a year, oh, a piece of cornbread right. in a you year, right. <laughs> you are my kind of people. I love the encouragement, but you are not. <laughs> You are not the friend I'm calling when I'm, when I'm having a hard day. Like, I, I really you, want this burger. And you in the back. You know what? I'm going to be like, burger hurt. one burger is not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Oh, thank you so much, Joshua. It has been such a pleasure to have you on Diversity Dish today. I wish you so much uh, growth and, and uh, building of your legacy. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please leave a review. It would mean the world, but only if it's a good one and you really did enjoy it. In which case, it would be awesome if you help support my work over at patreon.com backslash Cedrola Maruska. And finally, before you go, don't forget diversitydish.com. I'd love to work with you. See you soon.